listening to Law and Gospel on this Bible Study Wednesday, January the 23rd, in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and this is the opportunity where congregations can meet together at 9.30 for a Bible study. We go a half hour talking about it, and then after I get off the air, you can continue to talk among yourselves for a half hour. This week, we're going to be taking a look at the epistle reading for this coming Sunday, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12 through verse 31. One body with many members is kind of the title of this section. Now, why does the Apostle Paul do this? He actually is following the example of Jesus When he was trying to clarify what he was talking about, it is really impossible for a human being to understand the language God uses among the Holy Trinity. We would not be able to understand it. It's way too deep. So God brings it down to our level. The way Jesus did it was by means of parables. He would kind of compare what he was talking about to something that you were well aware of. Uh, For example, he wants to tell you that you were not saved by your choice, but Jesus came and saved you, and so he gave the parable of the lost sheep with Jesus being the shepherd and picking you up on his shoulders and carrying your sins to the cross. Those are parables. Paul here is using uh, another element in explaining the church, and that is the human body. And so we're going to take a look at this to see what exactly is Paul talking about. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So, you cannot possibly talk anything religious without bringing in Jesus Christ. Because it is through him that you have become a part of the body of the Holy Christian Church. And what is he talking about? That, boy, there are many members, but they're all one body in Christ. Well, he begins with the main understanding of how we got into that body. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 12. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, that is the Pentecost baptism. We call it a sacrament because as Peter preaches in Acts 2... When you get that baptism at Pentecost, you therefore actually are getting two gifts, the gift of the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And who is that for? Is it just for Jews? No, it's for Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Now, see, when you drink something, obviously the liquid enters into your body. And that's what happens at holy baptism. 
I've suggested that churches, if they have a standalone baptismal font, above it on the ceiling ought to be clouds with perhaps a dove. For as Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized, so also were filled with the Holy Spirit to such a degree that the Bible now talks about that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Paul picks up, not only is there no distinction between Jew and Greek, slave or free, in Galatians he adds in male or female. There's no distinction. And Jesus makes very clear that even the little children are to come unto him. So this was a teaching that a lot of people just didn't realize that even the Gentiles, the Greeks, were going to be part of the kingdom of God. I mean, they had examples of it in the Old Testament books. You remember that, uh, who was it that went to Nineveh? Jonah. And why was he hesitant to go to Nineveh? Because it was a bunch of Gentiles. And they had fought against Israel. And he didn't want them to be converted. Well, after getting spit up by a fish that God had prepared for him, he went and not very enthusiastically preached the message, and the town was converted, not to his liking. Well, getting back to what Paul is talking about, for the body, and here we're talking about the human body in comparison to the church, does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, now this next phrase is important, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So this is the beginning of the analogy that Paul is using to try and explain how God understands the Holy Christian Church. It isn't just one member like of a body. Imagine if the whole body were an eye, the body couldn't walk anywhere because it wouldn't have any feet. So there are many parts, but one body. Now, one would imagine that some parts of the body are really more important than other parts of the body, and therefore they're closer to God. But that's not what Paul says here. Listen to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more, pre more presentable parts do not require. So obviously we wear clothes when we go to church. And yet you might have a short sleeve shirt, and therefore your hand is visible, whereas other parts of the body are not. So there, there is a distinction made that all parts are still part of the body. All of them have a particular purpose that God has. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, even the weaker parts are still indispensable, and therefore we treat them with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Like today was cold outside and many people wore a hat, but a lot of people didn't. And it wasn't required by God that we all have to wear a head covering, but it is required by God when you come to church that the unpresentable parts of the body need to be covered. But God has so composed the body, giving honor to the part that lacked it, that there be may no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, in the promo, I asked, why does God compare the church to parts of the human body? And there's your answer. Because there are necessarily different parts of the body in order that there can be care for one another. The church really needs to be careful or full of care. And I've seen this, obviously, in the ministry I have done over the many years, like at a funeral. And that ties right into verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So we had occasions when uh, a member was found to have an incurable disease, and they went to the hospital, and members of the congregation uh, not only visited them, but continued to pray for them and continue to pray each and every week. Or if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Uh, we do that particularly with wedding anniversaries, uh, individuals who've had many years together in marriage. And everybody is rejoicing at lengthy marriages. So this is because we're all part of the body of Christ. I mean, can you imagine that, well, did you hear that the Smiths had a 50-year wedding anniversary and somebody says, oh, yeah, yeah, it's up to them to have that so they can brag about that, even though they know I lost my husband through divorce. No, members of the body don't talk that way. They rejoice when others are honored. So, 
Here it comes, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now he's going to start talking about, well, what is the difference, say, between the head and the hand and the foot, etc., etc.? Verse 28. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now, what's going on here? Well, you'll recall that the Holy Scripture is written by the apostles and the prophets. The prophets normally are considered those of the Old Testament time and the apostles the New Testament time. And so not everybody is an apostle. No, Not everybody is a prophet. Third, teachers. Now, we believe that is referring to pastors. So once the apostles and prophets have written the scriptures by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then the teachers come and they do the teaching. And that would be sermons, Bible studies, confirmation, preparation for baptism, etc. Then miracles. Now, when we think of a miracle, we often think of a supernatural event. But I tell you, as a pastor, I've done about 200 miracles over my years in the ministry because I consider the baptism of a baby to be a miracle. Now, I can't find one place in the Bible where a prophet or an apostle did a miracle and took credit for it. The miracles are always done by the power of God. But that doesn't mean that he might not use somebody. In fact, how many times have you heard that a couple that was near divorce decided at least to visit the pastor to tell him that they were splitting up, and within a few months, they were back together? And people say, wow, what a miracle that was. I never thought that they would stay together. And that does occur. So don't think of miracles as something that has to be supernatural alone. It can also be the sacraments. When you come forward, you're receiving in, with, and under the bread and the wine, the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. Then gifts of healing. I, I believe that a number of people... In their prayers, remember the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, that you can pray for somebody to be healed. I remember Dr. Mortensen, who was the physician at Concordia Seminary St. Louis, once gave a lecture on five or six instances when a person had a disease like cancer and they went to do some work on it and it suddenly disappeared. Uh, he considered that to be a gift of healing. Helping, administrating. Well, what's that? I was at a congregation recently, and it was asked, 
well, when are you taking down your Christmas decorations? And one of the members said, well, you'll never guess it, but I was driving by recently this last week, and then he named one of the members who was out there uh, taking down Christmas decorations that were outside the church. And somebody mentioned, yes, he's always there to help anytime you need help. I've often thought of the many congregations I've been affiliated with, how the same people are in each congregation. And what do I mean by that? Well, there are certain individuals that you know if you call on them, they will take the time to help out. Even with mundane tasks like maybe setting up tables and chairs for a banquet or a potluck that you're going to be having or cutting the lawn, or getting, and that's the Ladies' Guild, for example, the altar ready for a Sunday morning. They have the gift of helping. They really enjoy doing that. Do all of us have that gift? No, I, I would prefer that somebody else get the altar, change the candles, get the communion ware ready. Uh, that's not really my particular gift as I'm working on doing a sermon to preach from the pulpit. And various kinds of tongues. Now, when I hear the word tongues, I immediately think of that day of Pentecost. And what tongues were the disciples experiencing? Known foreign languages. I know some people now, I, I, I took a test in five languages for a doctorate, and I can pretty well translate five languages, but I cannot speak fluently. In fact, some people would suggest I don't even speak fluently in English, <laughs> uh, my main language. But I can still translate. I just have, boy such feeling towards individuals who can five languages speak fluently in them. And some of those are missionaries who learn the language when they go to another country so that we can help people out. I, I remember the uh, early Missouri Synod, some of the missionaries would teach the Indians German so that they could learn the catechism. Now what we do is we teach the missionaries the language of the people that they're going to so they can speak in their own tongue. Now the next point is really critical, verse 29. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer is, of course not. Not everybody has that gift. Now, you may have a person who may have more than one gift. Uh, for example, there is a lot of mercy that is done by Christian churches. A hurricane or a tornado comes to an area. You can be sure that Christians will be there helping out people who've had Terrible destruction occurred to their houses and maybe even loss of life. So there would be somebody who would be both maybe teaching 
maybe the reasons why God permitted that as a way of comforting at the same time in helping in mercy in cleaning up the destruction. And then it says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, is Paul saying that of these gifts that he talked about, namely apostles, prophets, pastors, miracles, gifts of healing, that some of them are higher than others? No. Although I'm a pastor, I would not consider that therefore God looks on me more favorably because I'm able to preach in a pulpit than somebody who can help in the administration of the church, such as elders, trustees, finance board, etc. No, you don't have a better chance of getting to heaven because you have some gifts and not others. Any more than a hand has a better chance of being a part of the body than the eye. No, each is necessary. So, what is Paul talking about in earnestly desiring the higher gifts? He's just talked about tongue speaking, being prophets, teachers, which are the higher gifts there. And a lot of people think that, for example, being a pastor would be a higher gift than, say, being a custodian who really takes good care of the church building. Now, there's no doubt that a pastor has a gift, uh, the ability to teach, and there's a whole list of things that a pastor should be able to do. But I do not believe that a pastor is a higher gift than the other gifts any more than the hand is more important than the foot. How do we know what are the higher gifts? Well, Paul says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, that should be kind of clear that these are more excellent ways than being an apostle, a prophet, a teacher, or doing miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and gifts of tongues. What is he talking about? Now, it's not part of the epistle reading for this coming Sunday, but I want to go to it just to show what is the more excellent way. And he says it in the very next verse of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a changing symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Therefore, I truly believe that when Paul talks about earnestly desire the higher gifts, the higher gifts are coupled with the gifts that God has given, that they're done in love. We've all heard of those pastors who think they're the boss of everything, and the members need to obey him in whatever he says because he's pastor. Well, that isn't having proper love. Or some people may brag about the ability to administrate and help others. Well, that wouldn't be proper love. Because what is love? 
Love is also involved with proper caring for others. Not like the disciples who told Jesus to get rid of that lady who's causing all that noise. No. We all have different gifts. From God's point of view, those all come from the Holy Spirit. But we are to use those gifts with the highest gift, which is that of love. And why do we love one another? Because he first loved us. That's not only what the Bible says, but the greatest verse for many people in the Bible, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So, think of yourself as a body. You have a gift from God. You're needed in the body. And couple that with true care for people, and you have the higher gift indeed. On the next Long Gospel, yeah, we've talked a lot about how people are leaving the church because of false teaching. Well, there is also a teaching that's going on. It's called self-help, and we're going to deal with that with Wes Reimnitz tomorrow. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.